Hello and welcome to the Future of Sport podcast with Lewis Silkin, where we'll be taking a forward look at some of the biggest issues facing the sports business and sports law sectors in years to come, gaining insight from industry experts and learning how innovators of today are likely to shape the world of sport tomorrow. I'm JJ Shaw and on this episode I'm delighted to welcome an expert from the world of sports architecture who's transitioned more recently into the sports tech ecosystem. As a former senior designer at one of the world's most famous design and consultancy firms, HKS, he's designed stadiums, arenas, and training facilities, focusing in particular on innovation and the convergence of digital content within physical environments. He's been involved with a string of impressive projects, including the 70,000-seater SoFi Stadium in LA, the venue for this year's Super Bowl, as well as the V-Hive, Europe's largest e-sport concept store for Team Vitality in Paris. And as recently as two months ago, he joined the team at OnePlan and VenueTwin, a Series A-funded startup building SaaS products for the sports and entertainment ecosystem, primarily focused on building digital twins of venues, including for the Paris Olympics, which I'm sure he will tell us more about in due course. Hello, Mr. Chi Batia. Thanks, JJ. Appreciate being here and thanks for the intro. No problem. I mean, I must say, when we started this podcast, when we when we knew we wanted to do it, we actually sketched out a, a rough plan of a few episodes, themes, guests, etc. And I did have a number of people tell me that they were particularly looking forward to hearing this episode. Um, there's something about I don't know, futuristic stadiums and the tech behind entertainment and sport that really piques people's interest. Uh, so it's great to finally be able to sit down with you, to be honest. I mean, do you do you enjoy working in the field, Chi? Yeah, no, I, I think I've definitely got that a lot. And, you know, like you, uh, I'm a massive sports fan, you know, grew up watching sports. So I think, you know, being able to combine whatever vertical you're in or what you studied in and around sports entertainment is always a, a blessing, right? So I think uh, we're definitely lucky. And fortunate to work in these cool environments and and stare at interesting things. It's not always innovation focused all the time, right? It's a lot of hard work and they're real complex three-dimensional beasts, let's say. And, you know, not all of them get built. Not all of them happen. They're very expensive. It's a complex journey, but it's very rewarding. And it's it's a great part of, you know, creating something physical and now digital, I guess, as well. Oh, yeah. And so starting off with your maybe your past life then at HKS, as a sports stadium designer, architect of today's world, how do you go about creating a venue or an entertainment space that maximizes fan engagement? You know, this is a buzzword we hear a lot about. I don't know if that's a relatively new fad or whether that's been a priority for de- designers like yourself for, for a while now. Yeah, absolutely. So for context, um, I had previously worked for HKS Architects for about eight years. I don't currently work there, but I can share some experiences um, from that world. There's essentially, you know, five or more um, tier one sports architecture firms out there. And a lot of the the studios in the US lead the way. And it's directly correlated often to the US sports entertainment model, which is far more focused on, as you said, the fan engagement and fan experience aspect that's also linked to the way the sports are played there. And, you know, the stop, start nature, the entertainment focus, merchandise, retail, et cetera. I think football um, that me and you know well in the UK and in Europe is a different rhythm and a different culture in its own right. So I think fan engagement, I'd say more often originated in the US and now has obviously spread for all sports, esports and entertainment physically. Um, I think it's, it's a tough one because it's, it's arguably more intangible yeah. as a thing. It's your senses, right? It's your how you experience something. 
And then our job is, you know, we're creating the shell or the nexus or the environment that 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 those experiences take place in, if that makes sense. And it's it's really about thinking about the user. It's kind of user-centric design 101, right? It's the same philosophy that any designer thinks about to make an app, right? Or your purchase process at the Genius Bar at Apple, right? Like that's as important as your your kind of purchasing a ticket at home, you know, taking taking the, the tube, a car or a train to the venue, getting to your seat. How do you actually extract that and think about it? So it's more intangible, I'd say, is my my direct response. And and in terms of, I don't know, integrating technology to create that sort of intangible fan experience or just trying to build a really cool futuristic venue, I mean, what kind of technologies are we seeing emerge now and sort of integrating into these physical spaces? Is, is this why we talk about this convergence of digital and the physical in this context? Yeah, so I think I'll answer that pre-pandemic first. Okay. I think pre-pandemic, it was, it was, you know, and I think people also need to look at a venue is anything from a 80 person jazz um, bar to an 80,000 seat stadium and Disneyland amusement parks. And I like the amusement park reference because the amount of energy someone like Disney spends defining their IP journey through their physical environments is linked to their digital distribution of their environments and, and, and stories. Yeah. And I think sports is very similar in that regard as is religion and places of mass gathering in general. So I think a venue across sports, media, entertainment, esports, civic spaces, technology is the way to distribute that and, and make that experience better. Um, so I think post pandemic, this convergence point came to the surface, although it was already happening a little bit, let's say, in terms of you know the digitization of OTT with sports entertainment and, and how, you know, if you're interacting with a fan in a venue, you might as well interact with a fan globally uh, if you're a major rights holder for a football um, club in the UK. So I think this physical, digital, virtual relationship was already cooking, let's say. Mm. And then the pandemic brought it to the surface. And, you know, I've always liked that word convergence because it, it relates to kind of transmedia, right? I'll go back to that Disney example of your, your, your end user having multiple touch points with your brand. And and so just a general question from me really is this, how does that that sort of the technology point then differ or maybe the, the fan experience point differ from a US and UK perspective? I mean, Chi, you, you have quite a good uniquely global view on sport, which I think some of us in the UK probably don't have. I mean, is that something you, you can, you know, sort of describe as a noticeable difference in those sort of two jurisdictions? Yeah, so so for context, I think everyone has their opinions from their point of background history. So just to give a quick summary, you know, I grew up mainly in Southeast Asia watching the Premier League at two AM, three AM, midnight. And then tennis and cricket. Tennis and cricket as well, you know, those are my three sports. And then I went to college and university in the US and got exposed to college football, college American football. And it's it's a different level, right? And then I've lived in London for six years after working on NFL stadium in, in Los Angeles and worked on UK European football, football, football post Brexit, when, you know, a lot of foreign ownership were purchasing assets and trying to improve their asset class and therefore the fan experience and, and brand. So I think, I think it's, it's how can you culturally apply the U S sports entertainment model to different sports and different cultures? Nobody's really cracked that. Mm. 
I'd say the best way. I think um, Australia is also a great market that has closer similarities to, let's say, American sports entertainment with the kind of entertainment aspect. Yeah. But I think, for example, say Tottenham's new stadium um, has reached a new benchmark for UK European football clubs feeling more like an NFL venue in the sense of the different experiences that are there and the revenue generation. So it's a tough one. It's it's really not all the same and no stadium you can compare it to another. I think the sport and the timing is a big part of it. And just whilst maybe one more question just on your time at HKS then. I mean, I mentioned in the intro you sort of designed, uh, you've helped design the, the, the SoFi Stadium and the Team Vitality V-Hive in Paris. I mean, it, obviously with due respect to what you can and can't say, I mean, what can you tell us about those those projects? I mean, what does that involve from a sort of stadium sure. design and tech perspective? So SoFi Stadium, you know, that was my first project out of school. That was where I learned everything. These projects have 150 plus people. I was just one of those. And, you know, it was the time in my career to be a sponge and absorb and learn and, you know, learn a lot of the process that I think is the highest complexity is how do you take a blank piece of paper and make those decisions that affect every vertical, right? Commercial decisions, real estate decisions, hospitality decisions, architectural decisions, urban decisions. So it is a complex thing. Um, And, you know, I only had one one role out of 150 plus people and many consultants, but it did teach me uh, about, you know, how hard it is to innovate. I think the, 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 the creative process is a strategic process. And I think it has uh, similar processes to how, you know, Pixar movies get designed, how, again, I'm going to think amusement parks get designed, how products like the iPhone get designed. I think the, it's a systematic process of forcing many different things into one thing, just at a very large scale. Um, so, yeah, it, it's hard to explain in, in a few sentences, but I think uh, uh, the thing I'd, 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 I'd end with is, um, I think people sometimes underestimate the complexity of these three-dimensional, you know, masses of, of buildings that need to do so many things. They're, you know, they're, they're like a machine, let's say. Hundred um, percent. And I mean, I, yeah, I certainly don't, in my head, underestimate that. It sounds mind-blowingly complicated to kind of get all that right. So yeah, know, and, and, and the best way to say it, it's it's every discipline you can think of has touched projects like that. Yeah. And our goal as architects in the background is to try to be the orchestrator to, to help put it all together under the client's vision and add our own ideas on top of it. But really you're, you know, you're, you're, you're hurting all the different ideas and you're making them all align in an aesthetic as well as a strategic manner. So it's, uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do for sure. For sure. And so what kind of technology is, is, is unique in SoFi then? I know a lot of people talk about the famous video board. Is, I mean, is that something you yeah, uh, sort of are involved absolutely. with? Absolutely. So I think uh, technology is always categorized in a few ways. One is on the more human tactile side is, you know, what are they using to access the event? I'll start small scale. So that's their, 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 you know, their apps, let's say, their wayfinding, their decisions before. That's also a technology component that has to relate to the fan experience physically when they're there. You know, whether that's um, point of sale service or understanding where you want to go and how to maximize your time in a venue, I think that's the first layer. And our, our, our collateral is part of that process. We're not involved in it, but we need to think about it when we're designing the venue five years ago, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Um, you can't update a building like an app. 
let's say, right? It's steel, glass, and concrete. Unfortunately not, yeah. Um, so that's one layer. The second layer is technology linked to the experience, and that's where the video board comes in. So video and LED technology is is kind of, you know, um, experience 101. It's, it's, it's visual. It has a lot of acoustical aspect to it. And when you enter a 70,000-seat stadium, you need to have everyone have a democratic experience, let's say. And so we've done a few video boards in time on other NFL projects. So the opportunity with SoFi was to create this double-sided oval-shaped um, infinity board, what it's called now, that, that Samsung has their, their technology in, that is, has video content on both sides, JJ. So if you're in the lower bowl, you can see the inside face. And if you're on the upper bowl at the top, away from the action, you have the best view of the screen. So it's a way to kind of democratize the content depending on where you are and use it as an additional layer of experience, right? Because it's not just about highlights in the game. It's also about stats. It's also yep. about sports betting sometimes, maybe not there. Analysis, sponsorship, and other content means that fans want to consume in a live event. And that same thing has utility for non-sporting events, such as concerts and other events. It can be used to host all the technology that supplies those events. So it's a real kind of, it's another machine within the larger machine, if that makes sense. That has to do a lot. It does. Um, but yes, to, to, to how we designed that and thought about it is, you know, mapping the peripheral focal view of a lot of the fans and seats to maximize where content could go. So, you know, a, a fun little innovation challenge there. And so moving on then to your, your current role at um, One Plan and Venue Twin, your pivot. I mean, what do you do now and how does it differ uh, from sort of your previous role? Um, and in terms of the products that sort of One Plan and Venue Twin uh, build and, and sort of and provide to customers, how does the tech work? Sure. So, so One Plan historically and currently is a, is a SaaS product focused on event planning. Now, an event plan is a 5K Hackney Marathon or the Olympics. And that's using Google Maps and satellite imagery as the base layer, API'd into a web browser platform that's very easy to use. So it sort of simplifies the use of more technical CAD tools, JJ, that you, know, you might need to hire someone yep. to allow end users to plan events in a collaborative, easy manner. And there's spatial intelligence, meaning you can extract data from it, such as how many fences do I have? What's my surface area? What's my density per person? That you, know, you couldn't do on, say, less dynamic intelligent tools like drawing tools or CAD or PowerPoint or Excel. So that's one plan in its simplest form. Over the last six months, that scope has grown more tailored towards sports entertainment. So you know, triathlon events, marathons have been using it for external planning, beach volleyball tournaments, et cetera. But that's now been taken into internal CAD planning, which basically means how can the software help venues? So venues or stadiums, arenas, courses or tracks, right? A horse track, uh, an F1 track that is more permanent because events might be cyclical, but they're still temporary mm. in that format. Now, when we've entered internal planning, we're now looking at growing into the digital twin world, which I'll talk about in a second, and kind of asset management. Right, so how can we use simple to use SaaS software to basically have floor plans that stadium operators and stadium owners across their different teams can use to not just plan one event, but plan the whole month, the quarter and the year in a cyclical basis. 
And it's a lot of overlap that I experienced in my past life, to be honest, right? Like that was the role of a lot of the jobs we had is to use the technical drawings we had to provide our insight. But now you can kind of, you know, use technology to empower the end user, which I'm a big believer in. Um, and the third piece, which is venue twin, is three-dimensional. So it's taking that one step further and saying, how can you actually create a hyper-realistic 3D asset of any stadium or arena? Not really for the metaverse, we can get to that later, but for very important operational benefit for the venue operator, the head of hospitality, head of innovation, for them to use for a host of use cases that I'm sure we'll get into. So at, at, a, at a high level, that's sort of one plan and venue twin, it's architecture, engineering, construction, tech, as well as a SaaS product, as well as entering a digital twin world of, you know, digitizing assets for end user empowerment. It does a lot of things. And exactly. Uh, you mentioned the digital twin and sort of the, the concept of digital twinning. I mean, that's something uh, you and I have spoken about before. Um, what does that mean to the layperson, sure. which I include myself in? And sort of yeah. how, how yeah. can the sports ecosystem actually use that to that? Sure. So. So I think let me start with the spectrum. So if if on if you if you visualize on the right, you have sort of industrial systems, high-end manufacturing, oil rigs, space stations. So people like Siemens, J and J use it for operational understanding, right? How efficient is my warehouse? How do I visualize the supply chain? On the left, you have sort of um, products. So like a Tesla dashboard in your car, right? It's visualizing the car and showing you what it looks like and adding data and visualizing it. And you have motors, you know, and components like trains. So those are the two spectrums on scale. The one in the middle is real estate. And in real estate, that's everything from commercial office builds, residential housing, like a smart home, sports entertainment. We are only focused in the sports entertainment real estate component of the digital twin spectrum. So that's kind of the first high level point. Now, what it basically means is it's a digital replica, digital asset of any physical object. Now that's still very vague. So I'll take it one step further for what we do. In the sports entertainment real estate space, if I create another spectrum real quick, on the right is IoT, which I'm sure is more familiar with a lot of people, which is internet of things. It's connecting physical sensors in the building. So heating, cooling, payments, security, CCTV, and visualizing that through operational dashboards for insight derivation, for safety, security. That requires physical sensors to be connected to a digital device. On the left side where we fit in is visualization for simplistic planning and collaboration. So it's, it's really about how can I simplify the complexity of a stadium or arena like a Google Drive? which is the floor plans. How can I view all the floor plans with all my colleagues and any external consultants in a collaborative shared way? How can I circle things? How can I point to things? How can I leave a comment? Really simple stuff mm. that currently doesn't exist in its purest form, as well as allowing users to interact with their digital asset that replicates their physical asset that they're working in and using every day for match day or non-match day events or conferences. So it's a we're much early in the value chain in the digital twin complexity. And we aren't looking at the IoT complex integration yet. We can do, but that's sort of where we fit. And hopefully that gives the listeners a nice spectrum of digital twin because it's been around for a long time. It's not, yeah. you know, metaverse new, let's say. And there's a lot of high-end utility in, in, in markets and systems that, that, you know, 
uh, aren't in this space. So it's important to categorize exactly what anyone does in this space. And, and if I'm a, a sports rights holder or a venue owner, and I have a digital twin built of my, uh, my, my stadium, and it is just, you know, the the most realistic sort of um, sort of digital representation. What you know? What are the use cases? It sounds like I could use it for all all manner of verticals and sort of yeah. Uh, and that yeah. that's that's the problem and the amazingness, right? Our job right now is categorizing those in a really efficient and customer centric manner. So I'll, I'll I'll go through say three that should hopefully paint a picture. I'll start with commercial benefit. Commercial benefit is if you're head of premium hospitality at a football club, NFL club, NBA club, your marketing team, your sales team, your ticketing team, how can I visualize my seats? How can I visualize my loges, my suites to improve sales collateral for non-event day and for to have someone walk around and, and, and plan their event already, not just a virtual tour, but actually start planning how you know things might fit. But for match day, how can I improve the sales cycle? How can I give touristic fans or new season season ticket holders an upgrade? How do I give them more information of what that venue could look like? Now that's more obvious if a venue is new, right? Because you don't have anything to show. Yeah. It's as important if it's a venue that's already built, that's going through an upgrade or renovation, or you're trying to improve your sales flow. From a marketing standpoint, still in the commercial bucket, JJ, it's infinite content for your content teams. So if you wanted to do a new partnership launch and the weather's bad, you, you want to fly a drone to the venue. You can create infinite fly-throughs and still images at high res that your, your content design teams can add logos and add players and Photoshop elements and create animations that still replicate said venue and asset. Next bucket, operational benefit. This is the main one in my mind. Yeah. That's event planning 101. That's match day planning, security planning, dot planning where staff goes, extracting kind of all that to suppliers. Right and, and helping create that process, but operationally, um, a really interesting one is is you know let's say event configurations. So if you take stadiums, especially in the U.S. and some arenas in the U.K. and Europe, how do you decide which new concert comes in? How does all the promoters send you? They're sharing two D CAD files through PowerPoint, PDF, and Dropbox. So now we can integrate that data into our into our software and help venues empower decisions quicker on what seats do I kill if there's a center stage with Lady Gaga, as an example. How do I actually plan that in real time quicker in 2D and 3D? The last one is more in the broadcast OTT sports analytics world. So this is the other spectrum that I think is really fascinating. So broadcast, you don't need site visits if you are, you are a broadcaster or a subcontractor placing cameras in any venue. You can access this through your web browser, place a camera, pick what lenses you have and understand what the view is to plan any event. Now that broadcast feature, we call it, or camera manager, that allows users to open up the kind of conversation with the sports OTT rights world, because there's other conversations we're having confidentially with others about sports analytics and data tracking. Right? So there's a few people out there that with sports betting data otherwise can visualize what's happening on the field, recreate it in Unreal Engine, which is what we're using as well, and visualize that for sporting benefit, but also broadcast OTT benefit. And I think that's an interesting angle to this is once you have your digital asset at your venue, what else can you do with it? Once you have it, right? who else can you partner with? What else can you integrate? 
Um, but I'll pause there. Hopefully those commercial operational broadcast innovation buckets give some sense of some of the use cases. No, absolutely they did. And something which we have been steering clear over so far, but you did touch on earlier, um, was the metaverse. Um, and it maybe it's appropriate for us to at least dip our toe in the waters of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. Can you envisage how the sports and the esports and the entertainment world will actually react and it and even it coexist with the metaverse? Is this something where you see that they are on a natural and co you know a cohesive collision course? Um, and you know what what do we expect from sport in the metaverse in ten twenty years time? Sure. So I think again, I'm going to try to define it my way for or our way, like the digital twin, where it is. So metaverse okay. for me and us is is gaming. So I think metaverse has existed for a long time, from Doom on your PC to every FIFA video game to, to anyone on Fortnite. And I think the video game publishers, the games engines like Unreal and Unity, you know, that is original metaverse and still is. And I think gaming companies will own that world and they already do. Um, that's kind of my first response. Interesting. Second, second thing is any Web three applications, I think, still need to be, still need to settle for sports entertainment. I think the rights holders haven't made a play yet because there's many metaverses that you can exist in and play in. So for us, um, for us, what it means is we are using Unreal Engine and games engine technology. We are making a video game for sports entertainment execs to use in a user friendly way. So we are a gaming company, right? We are a gaming company as well. So yes, we are in the metaverse, but our use case is physical, operational, and commercial and broadcast benefit currently. Now we are having conversations with a few, and uh, one NFL and one NBA franchise um, who are clients on once we build their asset and empower them with these features, what else can we do with that asset for them and with them? And that's where the metaverse plays in for us in terms of, a virtual concert, minting an NFT per seat. I made that one up, yeah. but you get where I'm going, right? Like authenticating these assets, talking to other creative partners or brand activations that can use our model for these other use cases that are more B2C or B2B2C for the fan virtually. And that's where we want to play. And we want to be the app store, let's say, we want to be the platform yep. that helps build an accurate, authentic Unreal Engine asset that has our own proprietary kind of sharing process to it to allow end user empowerment for our features, but also bring in other partners and work with other partners that want to take that asset to create X, Y, and Z. Things that we don't even know exist yet. And we want to empower that and create that in, in a creative economy standpoint. But that's where we want to focus our energy and, and help franchises and venues think of okay how can i maximize the digital and virtual asset value of my venue legal question then um so i can imagine protecting your core ip and the ownership of that asset that you that you sort of own and you build is i mean it must be absolutely critical to your business model really um particularly as we head into the virtual worlds metaverses etc and all the use cases you've already described uh where ownership can be somewhat of an untested space at least at the moment. Um, I mean, what steps do you take as a company or even individually to sort of think about this to protect your asset from a legal perspective? Is that something you are personally involved in at OnePlan? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a very current topic for us. We are um, still solving it. I think um, two main points. One is there's no answer to it yet. And we're trying to solve it, talking to Epic Games who build video games and their monetization and ownership process is a video game. We are building a video game that's visible through our web-based platform, which is slightly different. On their engine. On their engine, exactly. Uh, so that opens a new complexity. Um, we are mapping our IP flow, as we call it, and trying to find ways to engage with our clients and protect their assets and our commercial model. So that that is happening. There's no clear answer. But the interesting one is, what is the future of kind of digital brokerage of these conversations, right? So how can you, you know, let's take the physical real estate example. Like you can put your flat on Airbnb. You are renting your physical asset. We think there could be a, a conversation of how do you rent these digital assets that are iconic environments right the stadiums and arenas of major major clubs around the world that have a that have as much you know kind of civicness to it and brand value than say the eiffel tower and and you know major monuments um if we look at the the complexity of religion and religion and sport being interlinked hmm. and, and so that question we think is really interesting is is how can we be proactive and own that space and at least engage with our clients who are major rights holders on, hey, this is a whole new revenue stream. This is a whole new model. This is a whole new way of thinking about it. Um, because right now, if you go online and look at random 3D warehouse websites, you can download stadiums and arenas that you know people have just put up. That's the beauty of open source. I, yeah. I don't want to stop that. I think that's powerful. But how can, as we enter this, I want to own everything world, which I wouldn't say I support, <laughs> but as a rights holder, you know, Everyone wants to own everything now. Um, how can we be proactive and, and help them do that, but also create a process that the, the, the creative and share economy of working in these models and files is still built on innovation, right? And built on like what's next without being so closed off. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't really answered it because there isn't an answer yet, but we are we are investigating for sure. Yeah. It's going to take some creative thinking, um, but I'm sure you'll get there, G. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've got one final question for you, if I may, and it's it's a bit more of an, an open question, really. And just for a final bit of future gazing, uh, in your opinion, what will the landscape of sport look like in sort of five to 10, maybe even to 15 years time, particularly from a sports stadia and technology perspective? Where do you think we're heading? I think one thing off the bat is is more tier one, I'm going to stay with football, but also major US sports franchises and clubs are spending more capital time and resource on becoming more of a media company. And I'll pause there. That basically means how can we mimic other media distribution environments? Yeah. And I go back to Disney being a good one. And I don't just mean for the live broadcast rights, by the way. I mean, everything outside of live broadcast. Everything else, all the periphery content. Such and, as? Such as all the custom VOD, all the analysis, all the social media aspect, um, all, the, all the kind of digital memberships 
that are being set up non web three. I just mean, you know, access yeah. my OTT and, and, and to do that, they have to spend more creating content. That's not live broadcast. So I think that's a big part of like how you engage with someone physically distant from your venue yeah. and therefore, um, how does that affect our conversation of, you know, these digital assets that can be a, a space for these people to exist in and, 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 and interact with. So that's one. The second thing is, I think I mentioned earlier on the virtual side first, there's many metaverses, there's many, there's many social media apps, right. Um, in general, and that's cyclical. I think we'll get to a point of it settling, you know, one or three will come out. For example, like I think Fortnite already wins in there, right? Fortnite is, is the most powerful with the sports overlap. I think, you know, the NFL made 50 million or something similar yeah, yeah. of their skins, right? Like they didn't, they didn't have to build anything. Right. So it's, it's, it's empowering the rights holders to, to, but my question is, will some of the rights holders in leagues, not just the teams want their own space? Will they learn about, you know, the three, four others that have done set up the two-year partnerships and then say, you know what, I want my own NFL land. And as you 32 franchises, you have to play in that as well. And so I'm, I'm waiting, even, even UEFA and FIFA, arguably in the Premier League, I'd say, you know, these rights holders, I don't think are used to sharing as much in this way. And I think that's normal. And I think that's part of the cyclical process. So I think I'm curious and I'm waiting for the major tier one sports rights holders to take a punt and analyze what's been happening and make their own individual play. Even if it's a white label solution, that's still a individual play. I think there's a general push with the pandemic. That's pretty obvious. That's been on articles on like the experience economy, right? Physical experiences in general. And I think sport has a part to play in that in a way that your, your high street, you know, your, your shopping centers, your boxes that have, let's say, didn't survive the pandemic are now empty volumes for, for experiences. So I think it's how can sport and entertainment and esports provide more of a weekly environment and interaction, not just wait for the event wait for the home game, maybe watch the away game at the pub or at your friend's house. How is there more weekly interaction with said brand? I think that that could happen in, in more of a future as they're trying to connect more physically because there's that pent up demand post pandemic. And there's, let's say the real estate ecosystem off the high street is more malleable right now as well. Absolutely. Um, I'd say I use Disney again. You know, Disney's looking at putting their amusement parks experiences in, in malls in the US to bring Disney closer to the daily or weekly interaction. Why aren't sports teams doing that? I know they are in some environments. I can't share too much, but I think that's another thing that could happen. Interesting. Well, there's a lot of rhetorical question there that only the future will know. But I think with that, uh, I think it's probably time to wrap up. Chi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sort of uh, speaking so eloquently about everything that you do. No, um, I appreciate it, JJ. Thank you. It's been fun. I hope I hope it's been interesting.
for you and the listeners. And at least I stuck to most of the questions, I think. Absolutely. And um, who knows, maybe we can do it again sometime. Um, And so if you enjoyed what you listened to today, please do subscribe and give our podcast a quick rating on whichever platform you're listening to it, as it really helps others find us. And for now, you can follow all of our latest insights, articles and legal updates on the Lewis Silkin Sports blog. Head to sportsinsights.lewissilkin.net for that. And until next time, thank you for listening.